Steve for that prayer. Well, good morning. If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you, as the slide says, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You'll find the book of Philippians towards the back of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you. You'll find Philippians chapter 3 on page 981 of the church Bible. We'll be reading from verse 17 down to chapter 4, verse 1. So uh, if you're kind of new to the Bible, just look for the little numbers. Those are the verse numbers and the chapter numbers are the big numbers. Uh, here's what we're doing. We're taking a short break from our series in First and Second Samuel uh, in order to consider uh, citizenship in heaven. Pastor Steve and I thought it would be helpful to consider this subject um, in light of uh, the election coming up on Tuesday. Next Sunday, uh, we will, Lord willing, be considering its missions week, and so we'll be considering uh, the mission of God to bring glory to Himself through salvation of sinners from every tribe, tongue, language, people, and nation, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be in uh, Revelation chapter 5. Uh, so, so be reading that this week in preparation for next Lord's Day. Um, and after that, we will return to First and Second Samuel. So first, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. I'm going to read the passage and then pray, and then we'll get to work in this passage. In total, the message will be about 35 minutes or so, and then afterwards, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So this is the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers... Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, without you, we are poor, blind, and naked, but with you, we are immeasurably rich, have spiritual sight, and have been clothed in the very righteousness of God. So come now, Holy Spirit, and do the work that only you can do. Illuminate this text and allow us one more time to see Jesus. Amen. 
Imagine you were traveling abroad, and you're in a country, and a civil war breaks out while you're in that country. And the whole country goes into lockdown. No one's allowed in. No one's allowed out. What do you do? Where do you go? Well, I think many of you know the answer. You find the nearest U.S. embassy, don't you? And you go to the embassy and you show the embassy officials that you are a United States citizen. And they verify your citizenship. And they receive you into the embassy where you are safe. Where they help you find your way home. While you're in the embassy, you're technically on American soil. You're protected by the American military. No other country has jurisdiction over you in the embassy because you're an American on American soil. And so you're safe. Whatever else unfolds outside the embassy. The Church of Jesus Christ functions in quite the same way. This is an embassy of heaven. And like the embassy, we verify one another's citizenship in heaven through membership. We submit to heaven's rules here. The state has no jurisdiction over matters of faith and practice. The church does not belong to the United States of America. This is heavenly soil, as it were. And Jesus Christ is our sovereign. Our membership in the church of Jesus Christ fundamentally changes the way that we relate to the world outside the church. We love America. We pray for her. We pray for her leaders. We pay our taxes. We vote in our elections. We seek to steward our American citizenship well. But we recognize that ultimately this is not our homeland. We are citizens of heaven. On Tuesday, this country will elect her next president. And we may or we may not know who that is by this time next week. Whether this country goes in the direction that we hope that it goes or whether it goes in the opposite direction, how should we as Christians, as citizens of heaven, think and feel and respond in times of political unrest, political instability? What is the Lord calling us to do in the weeks ahead. Well, this morning I'm intending to show through the Apostle Paul's instructions to the Philippians that living as citizens of heaven, secure within the embassy of the church, we will be enabled to be more faithful and more helpful citizens of the United States of America especially in times of crisis. As citizens of heaven, safe in the embassy of the church, 
will be more faithful, more helpful citizens of the United States of America. There are two imperatives in this passage, two things to do, two things we're told to do. Number one, verse 17, imitate Paul and others. And the second imperative comes at the end, chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. So imitate Paul and others, stand firm in the Lord. And these imperatives, of course, are always surrounded by and grounded to in the truth of who God is, indicatives. So what God tells us to do is always grounded to who God is and what God has done and what God will do. No, it's no less the case in this, this passage. So let's look at the first imperative in verse 17. Imitate godly examples. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters in Philippi, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, now, Paul is writing to a church that had a really beautiful history. You can read about the history of the Philippian church in Acts chapter 16. The founding members of the church at Philippi were at least three, an Asian textile merchant named Lydia, who was really into the color purple, a teenage girl out of whom Paul cast a demon and started a riot, and a Roman jailer who tried to kill himself when Paul, when, when Paul got busted out of jail by God and then Paul changed his mind. So the church got started by a textile merchant, an ex-demoniac teenager, and an unemployed correctional officer. <laughs> Only God starts churches that way. Well, the Lord was faithful, brought people to faith in Philippi. He raised pastors, and the church became one of the most faithful supporters of Paul and his ministry. Paul loves the church at Philippi. It's a precious letter. At the end of chapter 3, Paul is telling the Philippians, imitate me and the other examples that God has given you in your life. Well, we're we're picking up in the middle of a story, so let's ask, what what is it that Paul wants the Philippians to imitate about him? And the answer to that is, in part, I think, in verse 13 and 14. Paul writes, one thing I do... So do what I do. This is the one thing I do. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling the Philippians, be like me. Forget your past life of sin. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Glory, joy in the Lord and press on to the goal, the upward call of God in Christ. So what is this upward call of God in Christ? Well, Paul explains that up in verse 8 and 9. It is to gain Christ and to be found in Him. He says, I will suffer anything. I will count everything I lose as garbage for the sake of that one thing that matters most to me which is to be found in Christ. He is my reward. He is my prize. He is my life and my joy and my everything. And I'll give up anything to have Him. And when I give it up, 
It will feel like I'm giving up nothing, less than nothing, because I'll have him. This was Paul's one purpose for his life. It's his one thing. I wonder if that's what we mean when we sing that song. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. This is what Paul meant. Paul will suffer the loss of all things. Happiness, fulfillment, freedom, safety in order to gain Christ and be found in Him. Because he knows that those things, happiness, fulfillment, freedom, safety, they come with Him anyway. So if I leave them behind, it's as if they're nothing to me because I'll have Christ for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, someone, someone once put it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let me put it to you another way. A man had a child who was very sick. And there was only one treatment for this child. And it was very expensive. And his insurance would not cover it. So what does this man do? He sells his home. He sells his cars. He empties his 401k. Everything that he has goes into paying for his treatment for his child. And it may seem like he paid a lot, but to him, it feels like nothing. Because I got my baby back. This is what it's like to be a Christian. This is what Paul did, and this is what God is calling us to do, to sell everything, as it were, and to follow Jesus, who is worthy of our all. He's break the alabaster box for his feet kind of worthy. He's take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Him kind of worthy. And whatever you give up to have Him will feel like nothing. Like throwing something in the trash. Well, this is the example the Apostle Paul left for the Philippians. It's the example Paul left for us. And the Lord has been kind in your life and in mine to give us all kinds of examples like this, some of them in history, but the most important ones sitting in this very church. There are brothers and sisters in this place who are this kind of Paul-like example to us, who are willing to lay down everything in order to follow Jesus and it count as nothing because all I want is Jesus. You have examples of, like, of, of this in your life? God has been kind to give you at least three of those examples and Pastor Steve and Pastor Brent and myself. Hebrews 13 says, consider the outcome of our faith and imitate our way of life. 
So in the way in which Pastor Steve and Brent and I are following Jesus like this, imitate us. And when we blow it and repent, follow us even in that humility. So who are the godly examples the Lord has given in your life? Who are the men and women who have invested in you? Cornerstone, I am profoundly grateful to the Lord every time I hear so many of you meeting with one another for encouragement, to talk about the Lord, to encourage one another in your walking with Jesus. I regularly hear members of this church meeting to talk about the things of God. It is a tremendous joy for me to serve a church that has understood and accepted the responsibility to follow Jesus and to help others follow Him. It's not like that everywhere. I want you to be encouraged by that. But then I must ask, the other side of the coin, to, to whom are you an example? Who, who might be following you in your way of life? Who are you investing in spiritually? Who are you committing yourself to praying for, to praying with? Who in this room is closer to Jesus today because of something you did for them? If no one immediately comes to mind, start this week. Ask the Lord, who do I know? Who have you placed in my life who could use some encouragement? Who can I pray for this week? And begin praying for them. For some of you, the most encouraging thing you'll hear this week is someone ask, how can I be praying for you? This is the upward call of God in Christ, to follow Jesus and to help others follow Him. And it is the best work, the most rewarding work. And it's what makes verse 18 and 19 so heartbreaking. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in what is shameful. And their mind is set on earthly things. So there, there are godly examples, but then there are ungodly ones. There are those who, whose walk is not about delighting in the Lord. It's not about joy in the Lord. There are those who turn from, from Jesus, who walk as enemies of the cross. And you know, even as the Apostle Paul is penning this letter to the church at Philippi, even the thought of those people brings a tear to his eye. And here the Apostle is a good example for us as well, a convicting one if I'm honest. Am I so moved by lost people? I, I pray for this every, every single week that the Lord would burden our little church with the love for the lost in Piqua. May the Lord give us a heart for the lost and move us to weep over them. The idea of hell is not a cheery one, so I doubt many people spend much time thinking about it. 
It doesn't make it any less real. But those poor friends of yours at work, at school, in your family, they're headed for destruction unless the Lord intervenes. They serve the God of their appetite. They glory in what should be shameful. And their mind has been occupied by temporary, earthly, worldly things. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, don't waste one more moment. Throw your, your, your life at the feet of the Lord Jesus for His mercy. Acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior. Turn to Him and trust in Him today. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's nothing you have to do. The cost of citizenship in heaven is far too high to pay. But the good news is someone has already paid it. Jesus went to the cross in your place and he paid the penalty of your sin and he earned the righteousness you need to become a citizen of heaven. There's no application fee. It's a gift. You receive it by faith. Don't leave here today still in your sin. Talk to one of us after the service. We would love to tell you more about being a citizen of heaven. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Anybody ready for that? By the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. As those who are trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, the Lord has granted us citizenship in heaven, which as I mentioned earlier means that heaven is our homeland. That's where we are looking for home, in heaven. That's where rest really comes from. We are residents of another country. So no matter what country you live in, it's not your home, not if you're a Christian. And the implications of this reality are vast. For one, it puts us into constant tension with the world. Our loyalties are divided. This is why the Apostle Peter described Christians as sojourners and exiles. So whatever country we're in, we are outsiders. I remember my friend Peter telling me uh, about his time when he was a missionary in Turkey. And Turkey is, uh, so you know, a, a Muslim-majority culture. And so in, in, in those types of cultures, it's generally practiced that daily calls to worship, daily calls of prayer to Allah are broadcasted over PA speakers in, in the cities. And I remember Peter telling me how he felt as a Christian in Turkey hearing those calls to prayer every day. 
prayers to a foreign god in a foreign language, people all around bowing the knee. It was a daily reminder to him that he was an outsider as a Christian. In politics and in society, we will often feel displaced, unrepresented, at times unwelcome. We don't easily fit into any political party. The words of Christ, more than the words of any constitution, drive our convictions, drive our conduct. We love America, this great country, but we're outsiders even here. We're citizens of heaven first. And this outsiderness. It makes us more useful, not less. It makes us better Americans. Outsiders can see what only outsiders can see. They can look and they can see things that insiders can't see. And they can offer helpful and biblical critiques to those on the left and to those on the right. Another implication of our heavenly citizenship is explained in verse 20, and it has to do with the different hope that we have. From heaven, we await a Savior. As citizens of heaven, our hope is not the same as the world's hope. So our hope is not who will be elected on Tuesday. Our hope is who will be worshipped on Sunday. I've said it before, the hope of America is not who sits in the White House, but who sits on the throne in heaven. It's Him, Jesus Christ, who will come and transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. The thing you want most, dear Christian, to love God unfettered by worldly affections, to love your neighbor unencumbered by self-seeking, those things that you want most, Jesus will make happen. Not Congress or senators or courts, but Christ. What we want most is what He will give. Upon his return, the Bible says, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the Savior comes, there'll be no more divided affections, no more resisting God's will, no more acting in self-interest, sin will no more affect us. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will make all things new. This is the hope we await for. This is what we strive for. And this will occupy our minds and move our hearts on November 3rd. The hope of America is not the health of her politics, but the health of her churches. So care about this election. 
but not more than you care about the couple in your church whose marriage is struggling. Care about Congress, but don't care about that more than you care about the person in your small group who needs prayer. Care about who's on the courts, but not more than you care about that sister battling an eating disorder. Not more than you care about that brother running from God. Real social change comes when all things are subjected to Christ. When Christ is all and in all. This is the hope of America. Real social change happens when the Lord opens the eyes of the spiritually blind and they see the preciousness of Jesus Christ and they confess their sins and they treasure Him more than riches or fame or security or their own happiness or even themselves. As citizens of heaven, united to the body of Christ, added to the church of Jesus Christ, we have been given the privilege of praying and working and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. As the Lord brings all things into subjection under Christ. Cornerstone, the most patriotic thing you can do is share the gospel. Is help someone follow Jesus. No matter what happens on Tuesday or in the weeks ahead, it is what the, the, what, what the God of heaven has willed to happen. And our part is to pray and to serve and to give ourselves to the advance of the gospel through the church. There's likely to be plenty of folks who lose sleep on Tuesday night, but it seems to me that citizens of heaven will sleep just fine. The sun will come up on Wednesday. Future is in the Lord's hands, which is the only place any of us wants it to be. Chapter 4, verse 1, this is where we'll end our time together. Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I long for and love, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Once again, Paul wants the Philippian church to know they're not alone. He wants them to know they're loved and they're desired. They're His joy, they're His crown. There's fellowship and camaraderie that is essential to being a Christian. There's fellowship, camaraderie, and love that's essential to being expressed and received. Verse 1 opens with, therefore, because of the hope that we have, like an anchor to our souls, the hope that we just explored, the soon coming return of our King, we stand firm. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. This phrase means to be steadfast, to stick with it, to endure, because we know the power of God. We know that our King is coming soon. We strain forward. We press on. We stand firm. But notice he says, you stand firm in the Lord. Cornerstone, your security is in the Lord. Trust in nothing else. Your own feet will fail you. Your own determination will falter. But God never will. 
Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our strength comes from the Lord, from our union with Christ. Our strength is not in how long that we've been a Christian or how much we know about the Bible. Our strength is not how many people we've led to Christ or how many times we've went to the nations. Stand firm in the Lord. He is able to keep you from stumbling. When we get to heaven, it won't be because we were faithful, but because Jesus was. Now, things may get crazy on Tuesday, or they may not. Either way, on Wednesday, when you wake up, what should you do? What did you do last Wednesday? The one before that? I suggest you read the Bible. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your church members. Pray for that friend of yours who's far from Jesus. I suggest you go to work, go to school, raise your kids, do your job well, seek to be faithful, and wait for Jesus to come. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So no matter what happens this week, let's plan to have church next Sunday, shall we? Let's plan to do what Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years, to joyfully and fearlessly gather on the Lord's Day, despite the risk to our health or our reputation. How about that? How about we gather here in the same place, 1030, let's say. We'll plan to sing a few songs, pray together, read the Bible a little, and thank God for His blessing. Let's plan to go to work, pay our bills on time, do family worship. Let's plan to eat good food, play fun games. Let's plan to pray with our spouse and rest well. This is an embassy of heaven. This is heavenly soil. You may be an outsider in the world, but you're not an outsider here because of Jesus You are an insider into the safest, most stable kingdom that has ever existed. Here, your family. We share DNA. You're an insider here. You're a citizen of heaven. Well, as citizens of heaven, we get to share a meal together, the Lord's Supper. Under the chair in front of you, there'll be a little cup, and you're welcome to take that now. I'm going to explain what the Lord's Supper is a moment, and then we're going to pray, and Corey's going to come up, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. It's open to any, to all who turn to the Lord by faith and have made a public profession of that faith in baptism. You don't have to be a member of this church in order to join us. But we do ask that you would be a faithful part of a local church that preaches the same gospel you've heard here today. The Lord's Supper is a special time in the life of a believer. In it, 
We celebrate our union in Jesus Christ. And by it, the Lord nourishes our souls. We remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, substituting Himself in our place for our sin, giving His body to be broken, His blood to be shed for our benefit. We remember what effect the cross has had on our life, uniting us to Christ, adopting us into the family of God. And so that means that this meal is not like other meals. We receive the elements of the bread and the wine, the cracker and the juice, soberly, and yet we receive them joyfully. Soberly because we remember the cost to save hell-deserving sinners like us, but joyfully remembering what God has done for hell-deserving sinners like us. And there are reasons to not take the Lord's Supper. For example, if you're not a Christian, this is a family meal, we would ask that you would not take the Lord's Supper. And if you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you afterward. But if... If you are a Christian, join us. If you're under church discipline, that'd be another reason not to take the Lord's Supper. Because members of your church family have lost their ability to affirm that you are a Christian. In other words, they've lost the ability to affirm that you're a citizen of heaven. Another reason to not take the Lord's Supper is if you're just hungry and you're hoping this will tide you over to lunch. So, we can talk about that after. So I'm going to pray and give you a moment or two of quiet reflection before the Lord, and after which we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father in heaven, you are high and lifted up. Your glory and your Son has been seen here again today. You have revealed Jesus to us, and may our eyes not soon forget His beauty. What great privileges we have been given in Him. Without Him, we are outsiders, strangers and aliens, outcast. But because of Him, we have been brought near to You. We've been washed clean. Our hearts have been renewed. Our wills have been strengthened. Our affections deepened. Lord, we confess that there have been... Uh, many of us have not considered our citizenship in heaven as we should... We've identified less with membership in the body of Christ and more with membership in other places. We've given in to apathy and anxieties. We've not served others. We've served ourselves. We've neglected to disciple as you would have had us. So, Father, look to Jesus. Accept His worthiness for our unworthiness. Accept His purity for our uncleanness. Accept His humility for our pride. Accept His faithfulness for our backsliding. Accept His obedience for our lawlessness. And enable us to trust You, to stand firm in the Lord, and to be examples to others. Would You enable us to enter this week with a renewed confidence in the Lord, in His sovereign hand? We trust You, Lord on Sunday, on Monday, and on Tuesday. You are God. We are your servants. We wait for Jesus. 
May we be found faithful when he comes. Amen. Now take a moment of silence and go before the Lord.